chapter the 13th verse, the Apostle Paul makes this statement and he says, brethren and sistren, talking to the church, I count not myself to have apprehended. And I realize the Apostle Paul wrote almost two thirds of the New Testament, went through all kinds of storms, all kinds of attacks, all kinds of frustrations, has traveled pretty much most of the world, but he brings us to, he brings to our attention that in spite of what all that God has done in his life, he's not done yet. Amen. You know, a lot of people, they just get done. They just get burnt out, frustrated, wore out, tired, and they just say, well, I've done enough for the kingdom. But the Apostle Paul said, God's not done with me yet. But this one thing, look at somebody say one thing, one thing. I, do. I do. Okay, notice what he did not do. He did not go to a Benny Hinn conference and have hands laid upon him. He did not go to a Perry Stone conference and learn about prophecy. He made a decision. There was something in his life that he needed to do. And this is what he said. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth towards those things which are before, verse 13, I press towards the mark, the prize of the high calling of God through Christ Jesus. Here's what the apostle Paul said. I've come to a place in my life where I have to deal with some issues of yesterday. Can anybody relate? When Jesus told the church, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Serpents are things that try to attack us every day. They try to bite our ankle. But if you'll ever notice a scorpion, the way the scorpion attacks is from, it, from its tail. Its tail comes forward and tries to sting you and, and tries to wound you. And a lot of times the enemy will use things of the past to disqualify us, hurt us, and harm us. I know there are those here today, you've lost your driver's license. It's gonna cost a bunch of money to get it back. And the enemy would say, well, you just may, may as well give up and never drive again. Absolutely not. We're pressing towards all the things that God has for us. I know there are some here today that's been estranged from their children. They've been separated from their family because of drugs or alcohol. And the enemy would say, well, you may as well give up. You're never gonna be the mom God wants you to be. You're never gonna be the dad God wants you to be. And that's all a lie. Before God called you, he knew there'd be a bump in the road. He knew there'd be a distraction or a hurt or a harm. You're in the right place today, doing the right thing, hearing the right word, making the right decisions. The apostle Paul, you've got to remember his name was Saul and he was on a mission. And for some reason, Mark, he felt impressed to assassinate every single Christian in the world. And what many do not realize from the death of Christ 70 years later in that 70 year window, five million Christians were murdered. They were fed to lions. They were placed on a torch, dipped in oil, lit on fire so Nero could walk at night through his gardens and see all the plants and all the foliage. And Christians provided that light. They were gladiators. They were, they were murdered. They were drugged out of their home. And you gotta remember it was Saul that held the coats of all the guys stoning Stephen. He was on a mission. He had orders from the Sanhedrin that he could murder all the Christians he wanted to. He would go with a band of soldiers in the middle of the night. He would kick down the front door. They would go inside. And they would drag moms and dads off, never to see each other again. The women to be, to be murdered, the men to be assassinated, children to be placed into concentration camps and later murdered. It was on his order these things happened. In Galatians 1 and 13, he uses a mafia term. And he said, you've heard in times past the Jews' religion that according to my purpose, I wasted the church of God. Wasted. 
That's a term he used. He wasted families. He wasted people. After God called his name on the road to Damascus, it completely changed his name, turned his life around. He began to study, heard from God, was on a mission, did what God called him to do. But can you imagine the Apostle Paul joining us today and ministering and someone maybe Gene's age or someone maybe Larry's age walk up after the service and say, hey, you don't remember me. But when I was seven, you came to my home and you, you took away my mom and dad and never saw them again. And, and my sister was murdered and my brother was murdered. But I forgive you for what you did because I realize you're a changed man. And you know what? It's easy to be on the other side of the coin to provide forgiveness, but sometimes it's not so easy to receive forgiveness. I remember as a child growing up, I was born quite young. Those of you that drank the coffee got it. My Facebook friends all got it, I'm sure. Those of you, I was born quite young. But there are events in my life that, that I fondly remember. I remember the water skiing. I remember, the, I, remember I, I was a, a church musician. I kind of moved from place to place. Where, whenever the church got a piano player, I went to the organ, got an organ player, I went to the trumpet, got a trumpet player. I went to the guitar, guitar player. I went to the bass. Finally wound up with the gazoo. That was the instrument I finally mastered and have a degree in and I'm very good at. But, but I remember there, there, were, there were times in my life that were very enjoyable. I remember going to Church of God youth camp and I love those times, I love those opportunities. But there's the other side of the record, there's the other side of the street where I caused hurt and harm to many people. I destroyed a marriage, I ruined a lot of relationships and a lot of times the enemy tries to remind me of all the things I did wrong, of all the blood that's on my hands. But the Apostle Paul said this one thing I do, I make a decision to stop allowing the events of yesterday to hurt and harm me today. And let me share this with you. Not just the failures of yesterday can mess you up, but the successes of yesterday can mess you up. When we began, when we were traveling the nation, God opened the door in a certain denomination of the top 100 churches. We'd held revivals in 39 of them. In the top 10, we'd held revivals in three. We preached at the North Cleveland Church of God. We were actually, Ron and I were remarried at that church, but in that denomination, we preached in some of the greatest churches in the nation. And when I went to Faith Memorial that Sunday morning, there were 70 people. And as we began to share and as we began to minister, that thing exploded into an eight-week revival and over 500 souls saved. And we, we, we birthed the church and we began to move and minister. And I can remember seasons when you could not sit in this building. You had to stand. It was crowded. And a lot of times the thing that you did yesterday, if you're, not, if you're not careful, all the great things of yesterday will try to disqualify you from the things that you want to do tomorrow. Am I helping anybody in the building? And I know I always appear to be alive and happy and, and carefree and sanguine and all that, understand. But you don't know how many times I've gone home on Sunday afternoon and sat there and told Pastor Rhonda, I'm done, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm not going back. I'm not. And she said, you have to go back. I said, you, you're the one who got the keys of the church to open up tomorrow. So I came back. You don't know how many letters of resignation I've written, but Marcus and Pastor Billy refused to accept my letters of resignation. And so there, there, there are times you've got to realize that no matter how, how excited you are about life, bad things happen to good people. And we are so concerned sometimes about remembering yesterday a song. If, listen, I... I what, what's the word I want to look for? I, I don't like people to walk up to me and tell me, I know what you're going through. If you've never been through a divorce, you don't have a clue what a divorced person is going through. 
If you've never gone through the separation, you, if you've never been bankrupt, you, you, you don't have a clue. If, if you've ever struggled with drugs and, and lost everything and trying to turn your life around and people say, well, you know what? You just need to get over it. You know what I want to do? I just want to, I, I'm telling you, the spirit of slap comes upon me. I just want to, I just want to do a, I won't tell you what kind of punch it is. Perry Stone calls me Rocky. I just want to punch. I just want to, does anyone feel that way? I mean, I feel like I know that God, I mean, if God forgave me of drugs and alcohol and, and all of that stuff, surely he forgive me for slapping somebody that needed it. So come on, give the Lord a hand clap because you want to do it too. That, that spirit is in you. But there are promises in the word of God. I want, I, want to, I want to bring attention to Isaiah 43 and 18. Here's what God says. Remember ye not the things of old, nor consider the things of yesterday. Behold, I will do a new thing, shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness, a river and the desert, and I will remember your sins no more. Now watch this. God can do anything. Literally, he can do anything. But God chooses in his persona, God chooses to say there's some things I can't do. Psalms 103 says that God separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. You and I did the math a few Sundays ago, traveling at the speed of light, it's 588 billion miles a year. That's how fast the speed of light is. Yet we know the universe today, just from what we can determine, is over 100 million billion speed of light away. That's how far the east is from the west. That means God has taken all your sins, put them in a package, and thrown them in the sea of forgiveness, and then he hangs up a sign that says, no fishing. And here's what the enemy tries to do. The enemy tries to remind us of the failure or the hurt or the pain. And then we go to God and say, God, I, I feel bad. Remember that time when I took money? out? And listen, as a, as a kid being raised up in the church, I did everything. I took money out of the church. Safe. You didn't want to know some of the stuff that I did as a kid. But you know, it's so funny. I'm 57 years old and the enemy will try to remind me of something I did when I was 15. Can anybody relate? I said, God, do you remember when I took all the gum out of the pew and chewed all the gum and I took money out of Sister Sally's purse? And God said, no. Excuse me? No, I don't remember that. You know why? Because I paid a price for that debt to be canceled. I prayed a price that that would never appear again. And you reflect, well, what is that price? Do you remember the first chapter of John? John's walking down the road, sees his cousin Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Remember that statement? You got to remember a few days earlier, John the Baptist baptized his cousin Jesus. And when Jesus came out of the water, the Bible says a voice came from heaven. The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove ascended on his shoulders. And God said, behold, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And if you have someone in your life that believes that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all one, that right there just proves it. Say this with me. There was a voice in heaven. Jesus was in the river. And the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. That's three. Do you see it? And the dove is centered upon the, the shoulder or on the head of Jesus. Let me tell you something about doves. When Noah built the ark, they released a dove. It came back with an olive branch. And the second time, it didn't come back. Do you remember that? When Job went through the storms he went through, he named one of his daughters the word that meant dove. And in 2 Kings, the Bible talks about dove's dung. So we know that dove represented the presence of God. And for years, there had been no presence. 
in between Malachi and Matthew are 400 years of silence. There's no word, there's no prophecy, there's no miracle, there's no manifestation. Complete silence. The Spirit had seem, seemingly abandoned the earth. But when the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove upon Jesus, John the Baptist realized everything had been fulfilled. And being, being aware of everything, you understand John was the son of a priest. Remember? Right. In the days of Christ and, and years before, look at some say years before, years before, if you sinned, you went and purchased a sacrifice. Depending upon your income, if you were not from a very wealthy family, you would, you would purchase a pigeon or a turtle dove. If you're a little wealthier, you, pur you pur purchase a calf or a lamb. And here's what you did. You took that lamb. That lamb was without spot or blemish. A spot is something you're born with. A blemish is something you pick up along the, or vice versa. A blemish is something you're born with. A spot is something you pick up along the road. This, this lamb was immaculate. This lamb was taken to the high priest and when the high priest looked at the lamb, he never said to the man, why, why are you here? What are you, what are you doing here? Well, you were just here yesterday. What, 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 are you, what are you back here for? He didn't say, are you a member of the Baptist church? Does your grandmother pray? Are you a tither? The priest didn't ask the man, listen, that's a single question. Here's what the priest did. The priest examined the lamb. And if the lamb was worthy, the priest carried the lamb over, dipped it in the water basin, and then carried it wet to the altar, put it at the altar, and cut its throat. And the minute that blood hit, hit that altar, that man standing there, regardless of what he had done, was forgiven. Listen, whether you go to God for the first time or the thousandth time, or, or, or for the same thing over and over again, when you come before the presence of God, he doesn't say, did you put in the offering Sunday? Are you a member of the Baptist church? Does your grandmother pray? No, God says, excuse me. On whose authority, on what precipice do you stand before my presence? Do you know what we say? God, behold the lamb. Examine the lamb. If the lamb is worthy, if the lamb is without spot or blemish, then God, we come into your presence by the blood of the lamb. And may I tell you today, the lamb is worthy. The sacrifice has been made. The blood has been shed. And today we enter boldly into the throne of God. Several months before Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, was the day where one day a year, one hour, the priest would go beyond the veil, step into the presence of God, be in the presence of the, of the Ark of the Covenant, and there he would offer blood, watch this, for the sins of the nation. Yom Kippur, one day a year, the priest would go beyond the veil and offer for the sins of the nation. Several months earlier, dad took the family to the place where you buy livestock. And dad purchased a lamb. They brought the lamb home. They gave the lamb a name. Maybe they called him Rascal. Maybe they called him Spike. Maybe they called him Tickles. Maybe they called him, I don't know, whatever. But they gave the lamb a name and the lamb became a part of the family. On that day of days, dad would take some papyrus or some leather and he would write down the family name. If he was a Davis, he would write the name Davis. They would poke a hole in the leather. They tie a string around it and they would put it on the lamb's neck. And then as the entire family watched, dad carried that lamb to the priest. The priest took the lamb, dipped it in the water and then cut its throat. And when the blood of that lamb hit that altar on Yom Kippur, the sins of that family, watch this, all the sins of mom and dad, 
sisters and brothers, nieces and nephews, sometimes three generations lived in one house. All the sins of that entire year were attached to that lamb. And when his blood hit the altar, they were all forgiven because of a type and a shadow. But you remember when Jesus went to Calvary and Pilate wrote the words, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. To write that in the, in the Hebrew language, there are no vowels. To the right King of the Jews, it was Y-H-W-H. We find that name showing up when Moses went to inquire of God to find out who God was. God said, tell them I am what I am. It's called the tetragrammaton. It's called the unspeakable, unmentionable name of God. It could not be pronounced. It could not be shared. The priest could not say it. The scribe could not write it. But the priest was responsible for the power of that name. And a hundred years after the death of Jesus, Josephus writes of a carpenter that came from Nazareth that had learned how to correctly pronounce the name of God and through the manifestation of that name, miracles were taking place. The dead were being raised. Lives were being changed because Jesus said, I don't do anything except the Father tell me to do it. And everything I do, I don't do in my name. I do in his name. Jesus knew the name of his Father. Oh, this story gets better. When the, when the Sanhedrin saw that tetragrammaton attached to the cross of Jesus, they got mad. And they said, take that, remove that, remove that, because they knew what it meant. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. And on that day of days, when the spear was thrust inside and the blood hit the dirt of Calvary, the sins of all mankind attached to the name of Adam. From Adam till now, from Adam until the second coming of the Lord, every sin that had ever been committed, every lie had ever been told, everything that Adolf Hitler did, everything that Charles Manson did, everything that Sung Young Moon did, every mistake, every murder was attached to that name. And that day, Jesus drank the cup and paid for all the sins of mankind. So you know what we can do when he said, it is finished. God took his hand, ripped the veil from the top to the bottom. The wall that separated God from man has been removed. Now any time of the day, any day of the week, any week of the year, we can go beyond the veil, step in his presence, feel his glory, know his voice and sense his power. That should excite somebody in this building because of that name. In this, in this process of where we're at to where we want to be, there is a ladder. There is a way to correctly pursue the presence, forgiveness, and restoration of God. The first step of this ladder is repentance. When you look at the life of Peter and you look at the life of Judas, both of them did something very horrific the night that Jesus was arrested. Judas, for the love of money, and because he could not manipulate Jesus, sold Jesus out. He became a traitor. He betrayed Jesus with the kiss. Peter, after Jesus was arrested, denied him, not just denied him, but cussed like a sailor. Literally. So both of them sinned. The Bible says through remorse, Judas hung himself, but through repentance, Peter cried out to God. There is a difference from being sorry for what you did and asking God to forgive you for what you did. You see what I'm saying? There are a lot of people in life that are remorseful. They're sorry they abandoned that wife. They're sorry they abandoned that child. They're sorry they messed up. They're, 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 they're sorry for what they did, but they're not sorry enough to change. Repentance says, I take complete responsibility for what I've done 
I accept the consequences and I will do that no more. There are a lot of people that like the little boy every night. His mom would come in with a wash rag and before he said his prayer, she would take that wash rag and she would, she would wash his face and neck and ears, something fierce. I mean, she left burns on him. She was so intent with washing his face and every night he tried to get out of it. So one night mom came in with that notorious wash rag and that little boy looked at mom and said, mom, tonight, couldn't you just dust me off? Yeah. See, a lot of people come to the altar and they just want to be dusted off. In the past 21 years of pastoring, you would be amazed how many people run the altar, throw everything at the feet of God, ask God for healing, ask God for help, and he does it. And they never come back to say thank you. They never come back because the second step of repentance is reconciliation. And when you confess your sins and accept Christ as your savior, the DNA of God, which has been barren, which has been dormant, which has been dead, all of a sudden comes to life and you are reborn, newborn with all the promises. Watch this, for as many as are called by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you've not received the spirit of adoption, get fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, joint heirs with Christ, heirs of God through Christ Jesus. So that means when you come to God, all of a sudden Jesus identifies you as your brother, as his sister, and all the promises of God that have been laid up in storage for you become available to you. That should excite somebody in this building. So all the, the, the whole process of reconciliation is to pay back. We hate the words submission. We hate, we hate responsibility. We just like to come, make sure there's a chair, make sure the temperature's right, make sure the praise and worship's on, make sure the sermon's not too long, and make sure we're not asked to do a whole lot. We were raised like that. Burger King is our motto. Have it your way. And pretty much that's the way that we, we have it our way. But the person that really plugs into the, the salvation of God realizes... I want to do something back. I want to pay back. I want to be involved. I want to make a difference in the lives of others. And that's what many of you in this room need to realize is that there are family generations that are watching you. Larry, where's Larry Smith? Larry, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a generational curse on your family. And the enemy through the years, I've been your pastor for 20 years. And through the years, the enemy's tried to attack and destroy and you in every area possible. But Larry, you are proving to the world a Smith can serve God. A Smith can stand and do, do the right thing. And through your stand, through your obedience, that curse is broken that what you pray for God does and what you ask for God does. Does that make sense? There are people in this room that your family's under, under a generational curse. I mean, it's, it's there, but you are the difference. I'm telling you, there are people at Hope House right now that have family that do not believe they can be drug free. They're all bound by drugs. They've managed to manage it. They managed to continue to work their job, but they're, they're, they're still on drugs and alcohol. And they're watching your life because if they, if they see you make it and they know you families that way, if you make it, then they can make it. And if you make it, you could be, you could be like a domino effect that you could see 10, 15, 20,000 people come back to Jesus because you made it. And that's where you read this book and realize as a lamb, as a disciple, there are things required of me to pay back to be involved in the kingdom. The third step out of this ladder is the, la is the step of reconsideration. Reconsider what? 
where you came from to where you are now. There's an old song in the red hymnal that says this, don't look for me to be in the place I used to be. There's been a change in me. I found a better way. And since I found the church and found the place to pray, there's been a change in me. I found a better way. My favorite song of all time says, if you could see where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, then you would know the reason I love him. So you can take this world, this wealth and riches. I don't need earth's gain. It's my desire to live for him. And all of a sudden you remember the gutter that you were in. You remember the pain that you were in. You remember the frustration and hurt that you caused. Oh, don't give me that pious. Every one of us were in the gutter. I mean, some of you floated past me on your way to gutterhood, but he came to that gutter, got right down there with us, was made sin and became poor that we might be made rich, picked us up of that gutter, set us on a rock, put a new song in our mouth, give us a new name written down in glory. And now everything is different. Everything's changed. Everything is for the better. God has completely transform your life and turn you around. And what do we reconsider? Remember Abraham took off on a crazy journey, was told to leave his family, leave his legacy, leave the traditions of his generation, go to a land he didn't know existed, serve a God he'd never heard of. And he did it. Took his nephew with him. God blessed some frustrations. He went to a mountain, told his nephew, choose whatever you want. You take all that and I'll take what's left. Lot chose the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham chose, Abraham chose where God wanted him to walk. Lot gets involved in Sodom and Gomorrah. An angel comes to God. We believe to be the Lord, the preexistent Christ. Same angel that stood before Joshua, the same angel, the burning bush. But, but this angel looked at Abraham and said, you're my friend. And there's something I'm going to do and I need to tell you about it. I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sin is completely out of order. There's no repentance. There's no one there looking for the right thing. And I'm going to destroy it. And I know you got family there, so I'm going to tell you about it. Abraham begins to negotiate. It's called the art of intercession. Abraham begins to negotiate with God and says, well, God, you wouldn't destroy. And we're talking about millions of people, guys. God, you wouldn't destroy the five cities of, of Sodom and Gomorrah if you found 50 righteous. Well, God said, no, I probably, I probably, you know, for your sake, I'd probably, I'd probably let them live. And well, God, what if there were 40 righteous? Would you destroy it for 40? And God said, no, probably for 40, I wouldn't destroy it. And then Abraham begins to really negotiate and really begins to intercede. Well, God, if you found 10 just 10 people, would you destroy all five cities? And God said, no, Abraham, you're my friend for your sake. I will not destroy 10. Now watch this. We've got Lot, we've got his wife, we've got his four, we've got his uh, four daughters, two of them are married, that's 10, see that? If Lot had been the dad and father-in-law, he should have been and had won the daughter's husbands to the Lord, one family could have spared the entire city. But what did God do? There weren't 10. So God sends an angel and pulls Lot and his wife and his two daughters out, the other two daughters didn't want to come, brings them out of the city, and then all hell pours out of heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah for their, for, for their sin, their tragedy. May I tell you my story today? 
I have a praying friend by the name of Jesus that ever liveth in the mountains of glory making intercession for me. And one day when all of hell pours out of heaven upon this earth for the set of the way they treated Jesus, my friend Jesus is going to remember me. He's going to transport me from this place, translate me, transferring me to the kingdom of God. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because what a friend we have in Jesus. Aren't you glad today that you're connected to that friend, connect that relationship. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. This is a brand new day. Colossians 2 and 14, if you'll take your piece of paper, I need two extra to help me. Matt, if you'll come on the keyboard. I love that just as I am. If you could do that, if you'll give every person in the building one of those. I don't know if the guys, every one of you should have a piece of paper. There are pens on every table. If you don't, if you don't have paper and pen, try to get Try to get one. Can we put Colossians 2 and 14 up on the... There's been a real big deal lately over paper napkins. And there seems to be a competition of which napkin can blot out more spilt Kool-Aid than the other napkin. So when you think about that concept of something being spilt and then it be blot blotted up and completely removed, that's kind of the, the, the process of this scripture today. I'm going to read a couple of verses earlier to kind of set you up. And ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power, and whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, where also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead to your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, watch this, having forgiven you all transgressions. Not nine out of 10, not the white lies, not the, not the gentleman mistakes, all sins. Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it, to his cross every accusation every threat every mistake every sin that we were ever committed my sins your sins my daughter's sins my granddaughter's sins my great granddaughter's sins if I live that long my parents sins my grandparents sins all those sins were nailed to his cross and we're restored and we're redeemed and we're bought by blood, a new creature. If any man be in Christ, is a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. Every one of us go into that cocoon and through the crushing of the word, there's a metamorphosis. We go in one way, but we come out another. We go in an ugly looking caterpillar. I mean, gross and ugly and good for absolutely nothing except catfish bait. And then we go that process, that crushing of the word, restoration, reconciliation, reconsideration. All of a sudden we burst forth a brand new creature 
in Christ. That's the promise of God. 